I thought that that was the weirdest, <laughs> strangest Apple event I've ever been to. I couldn't shut up about it while we were there, as you probably recall. It was like every every other word out of my mouth was, this whole thing is so weird. I loved it. I loved it so much. <laughs> I, well, I, so I'm not complaining. You know, like I said then, it's like I do think it was weird. I questioned whether it was worth our time. Uh, but I think that that's, that's what makes it interesting because it wasn't like, oh, it's another iPad introduction event, you know, where the same things happen. It was actually kind of, uh, you know, what, what makes it weird and different and unique is what makes it interesting to talk about. Yeah. Well, I, I think what you said was really interesting at the event where we were talking and you said, well, you know, they could have just done this in a press release. Like, Apple Pencil support is cool, but it doesn't necessarily warrant an entire event. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, yeah, but the, the iPad isn't really the story of this event. Right. Like, right. there's a reason why we didn't hear about hardware until about 30 minutes into the one hour keynote presentation and that's because the story was like the story was the people the story was how they were using the products yep and what made what made it all make sense to me in hindsight like i figured it out by the afternoon is that the uh, the event really wasn't for us no. in the media like we were secondary it was for the education people and there were i, I don't know hundreds i mean it was a very big event and the the high school in chicago where they held it is just enormous just uh, i mean almost it's 4,000 students normally, I believe. I, I, it certainly felt like uh, easily. Um, <laughs> and there were so hundreds and hundreds of people from uh, the education, you know, teachers and people who manage devices for schools um, from all over the place who, who came to the event. Like somebody after the event recognized me and, you know, came up to say hi. And he's, um, I, I think he's oh, somewhere in Indiana. Hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, whoever you are. <laughs> it was very nice to meet you. I think he was from like Blo Bloomington, Indiana or something. So it's like a two hour drive to Chicago. Um, I think there were people like that from all over the Midwest, yeah. you know, just teachers and school administrators and stuff. And that's really who the, the, the event was for. Without question. I mean, heck, uh, I finally met Martin Coots in person and he's an educator from Scotland. So <laughs> like mm. the fact that he was there. Um, but you know what else I felt like in addition to the teachers and the educators, what I thought was really striking and I think what I appreciated the most was the fact that Apple invited students and not just students yeah. from Lane Tech. Like they had, although they had, I don't know, probably 200 of them, maybe more, who had a parental permission slip that had to be signed for them to go, which I thought was adorable. Uh, but they had student journalists, which I like. The second that I realized that there were student, student journalists sitting in the media section, my heart just like grew three sizes. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah, it reminded me it reminded me of my own high school experience. And the fact that like, they're getting like, to be able to get to cover an event that granted, you know, it's not you know, this is not Apple's biggest media event in the world. It's not WWDC, but it's still no, because pretty. Because it's not really a media event. Yeah, right. it's not. It's, it, yeah. But it's still cool. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Panzerino and I were sitting together uh, a couple of rows in front of you and Renee. Mm -hmm. I remember turning around and seeing you guys. I didn't see Jason. I don't know where he was. Jason was but, sitting right uh, next to me, so uh, he was oh, just I didn't probably see hiding. He must have been sitting. He's yeah, hiding behind the wired guys. But Panzerino and I were, I don't know, six rows in front of you. Um, and literally, um, like, we were in seats, like, four and five in the aisle, and and seats one, two, and three were the from the student paper at Lane Tech. And ah. I was like, that's amazing. And so Panzerino and I were like, we had the same feeling you did. We were like talking them up. We're like, what, you know, how often do you publish? When do you think you're going to get this out? You know, 
and uh, you know, and they were doing it the real way. You know, they had a photographer, they had a writer, uh, I guess two writers and a photographer mm-hmm. uh, taking notes. I was really, I, I that that was cool. I thought that was great. Did and you, like you said, they they were they had the exact same media credentials we did, which was awesome. Yeah. Um, did you find out whether they're do they publish digitally or do they still publish analog? They do print. They print once a month. Huh. Um, but they keep, you know, they, they said like trying to, they try to keep the website more up to date. I was like, yeah, I'd go with the web. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, when you're I in a... I would focus on that. When you're in a closed environment, it's kind of fun to, to print. But yeah, I think once a month is probably a, a good target. Yeah, I uh, right. I don't know. The entire... Watching that event, I, you know, it was also the first event in a very long time that wasn't streamed. Um, and mm-hmm. Micah Sargent, who's, of course, a writer for I'm More, um, mentioned this and it totally twigged me where he's like, yeah, of course it's not streamed because it's not, again, it's not really for the general population. It's for the people who really care about this, which is the educators and the students and the videos up afterwards for the people who want to watch. But, uh, you know, to to have it live streamed, I think, would, again, be setting the precedent or not necessarily precedent, but setting the expectation that, like, Apple live streams an event. OK, we're going to get hardware. We're right. going to get all these things. Apple doesn't live stream an event. This is a, a not necessarily more private, but a, just a bit more intimate, I think. Yeah, there there was news, but, you know, not a lot. And I think that they the expectations that they set, you know, were appropriate to the level of news that actually broke. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, can we talk about what happened after the the keynote slash auditorium announcement? Because that I thought was maybe one of the most brilliant things they've ever done after a keynote. Yeah, well, I thought it was. <laughs> I would love to talk. I didn't sign an NDA about it. I don't. As far as <laughs> yeah. I know, it was all no, on record. No, it's all so. it's all on record. I've been tweeting about it and no one's come down for me from the Gestapo. Right. So I think we're fine. Uh, yeah. Right. So so all of us got customized schedules uh, when we when we got our media badges uh, that had the the one hour announcement uh, speech on it. And then after that, we all got split up into about, I don't know, was it like 10 different classrooms that all had different aspects of, uh, of the keynote presentation on software that we could essentially interact with. So the first, the one that I ended up going to first was essentially showing off the everyone can create curriculum that they announced on stage, um, with the the Fibonacci sequence. So they're like, okay, if we're teaching Fibonacci, you know, the Fibonacci sequence in a math class, you know, we could make people memorize the sequence and point out that it's in nature, or we could have people, you know, find and take pictures of Fibonacci sequences in nature and write poems about them. So we're all going to write and record a poem in clips with uh, voiceovered over sequences of Fibonacci in nature. And it was just like... It was just the perfect amount of over-the-top nonsense that I think it kept the media folks entertained. But, like, all I could think of the entire time that I was in that session was this is exactly how my high school taught. And my high school, uh, for people Hmm. who probably aren't – don't know – like, I went to a school called L.A. County High School for the Arts, which was a magnet school, a charter school that you had to try out for in either theater, uh, music, visual arts, or dance – Um, and so as a result, it was a school made up entirely of artistic children, uh, which meant the, Mm. the 
teachers had a very tough challenge teaching some STEM subjects because, uh, let me tell you, like uh, dancers and, and theater kids, you know, like physics is not our, our number one priority. Most of us were like English nerds. Uh, but they they came up with really interesting ways of teaching the curriculum in a way that we still, you know, we still had to do all the standardized tests and all of that nonsense. Right. But we were also like, I remember doing a history project where I was using one of the earliest versions of iMovie to essentially like reenact a, a version of, I, I forget, something in, in U.S. history in the like in the 1950s. Maybe it was like the McCarthy Act or something like that. Uh, and then we did how it compares to Star Wars. Like that was our hmm. project that got that was a way for me to learn about an aspect of history. So like some like minor sub tangent aside, being in this classroom, you know, two decades later, and realizing that like, Apple is basically tapping into the same things that I found worked tremendously well for me as a student, um, as an artistic kid, but I can also see the vice versa, where someone who is really into math or science or something like that, but doesn't really f see themselves as a creative person, now has potentially avenues to right. go down for creativity. Yeah, I thought, and and I saw some, every time I bring up clips, and uh, I, I'm, fa I'm fascinated by the Clips app, because I, I, I think it's... I, and people say, well, do you use it all the time? And the answer is no, I actually don't. But I kind of feel like I should use it more. And I've done it like probably I'll try to remember to use it Sunday at Easter when we're visiting with family because it's a great way to just sort of just put a bunch of videos and stuff with all the kids in the family and share it. You know, it, I don't know. I've done it before at like little at like family events and everybody loves it. Um, but it's such a fascinating app. And I've, you know, my description of it is sort of like a, it's like a cross between Keynote and iMovie, but <laughs> yeah. optimized. And that's and I've talked to Apple about this before, um, and you know, but they said that it is, you know, and again, it is it true? Is it just what Apple wants to be true, or is it true? I can't prove it because I'm not in these schools. But that you know, the place where it's the biggest hit is the education market, and that um, kids are doing, you know, teachers are assigning things like exactly like the demo thing we did, like, you know, pretty much just make like a little minute long movie. Um, and they're doing it for things like field trips. Like, so if the class goes to a museum, uh, ah. you take a bunch of iPads along and you know, your assignment is to create like a minute long clips thing of whatever the subject is that you're going to the museum to study. Um, and if you think, you know, and, and it's a way for kids to learn, uh, it, you know, like if you did like a keynote deck, it's not as interactive, right? It just feels stayed and it's sort of intended for something that you're supposed to be speaking a long slide as you see it, mm. whereas clips stands alone. And so it, it can be graded more like regular homework and you don't have to have all 25 kids in the class stand up and spend five. You know what, what I mean? What I did it, it, on my summer vacation at the art museum. Yeah, no, exactly. And it it lends itself to very short movies, uh, and I think one of the things that's so fascinating about kids today is that I mean, video has always been getting shorter and shorter and edited, and you know, people used to think like in the eighties that music videos were you know crazily uh, 
quick edited, you know, quick shots, but that's nothing compared to, you know, the brevity of like YouTube videos, you know, and I think kids get that like kids, it's, it's actually works in their favor that their attention spans are shorter, right? That they can, if you can condense the whole thing into 45 second clips video, that's great. Yeah. Get well, your point across. Exactly. I think that's, that's exactly it is, you know, we're, these are kids that have grown up in the era of Twitter and, and YouTube. And there is something to say about being able to make your point succinctly and not, you right. know, bloviate on for for 20 pages or 30 minutes. You know, I remember as a kid doing like you, you had to do the like the state reports, right? And I had to do a state report right. on Maine. They're like minimum 20 pages. But you're president. I got Kentucky. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. It's <laughs> an interesting one. <laughs> Yeah, but it's Although I, mine was in second grade, so it was not twenty pages. It was pretty much like a like a one sheet. Oh my god! Most of I... which was most of which was a very poorly drawn map. <laughs> mine mine was in third grade, but they literally had us. They were like, "Yes, we want you to have all of these sections, and it's okay if you outright copy from books, but you're essentially right. making this portfolio of the state." Um, and, mm. and then you had to present it and then bring in a baked good from that state, which was hilarious. Ah. So was, but yeah, like, so, I don't know. I, I just, I think clips is easier. <laughs> yeah. So effectively what they did, and, and my, I, I was trying to think about how many classrooms, cause it felt like the classroom I was in, there were four tables of eight. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we had like 30, um, 30 people in our class, maybe 25. Yeah. I think we probably, I think we had 32. Uh, but if there were a couple hundred people there, they must have had it split up between a whole. S- there must have been a bunch of them. I don't know. Yeah. But effectively, they had us go through like a an hour long fake, you know, three classes of school math with this Fibonacci thing. Uh, Christ, I blacked out. I don't, I don't even remember what the other ones were. <laughs> math, math, history, and coding. <laughs> oh right, with the Swift playgrounds. Yeah. And. I see. I, I'm. I get why they did it, and it, but it wasn't for me, right? And mm-hmm. so I, I only enjoyed it at the meta level of watching the like the guy next to me was from the Chicago school district, um, and he, you know, he it, he'd never seen clips before, so like it, it had a totally different perspective on it than me. So I like let him. I was like, here, I, I've done this. I'll, you know, you can, you know, because they had like one iPad for every two people. Yeah, um, you drive. Yeah, I, I, so I was like, you drive, because I, I kind of know this, but I'm interested. But the thing that hit me was I, I've, I've often thought, like, what would happen if I, like, quantum leaped back into my high school self? Could I, could I handle it? And the answer is no. Like, <laughs> if I'd, like, if my current 45-year-old mind was suddenly transformed back to, like, my 17-year-old self, I, I would have to quit school. Like, I, <laughs> I physically could not. I, I honestly thought about getting up and just leaving, and I just didn't want to be rude and draw attention to myself, but I I, I just couldn't stand to be there learning things I already knew. <laughs> it's, well, that's, it was very strange. I mean, I think that's also 17-year-olds who get stuck in classes they already know, right? Like, it's... it's... I just don't... <laughs> I have a recurring dream. I have a recurring dream that's somewhat regular that I'm back in high school and I'm incredibly bored and I don't want to do the work. And then it suddenly occurs to me, hey, but, you know, you've got like a website and you make a good living on it. You don't have to do this. You could just leave. You don't need to. You could just quit high school and just go post something to Daring Fireball. And I'm so happy. And I think, oh, this is great. I'll just get up and leave. <laughs> and then you're actually in that situation and you're like, I can't leave. Yeah. 
I can't. I can't, I can't yeah. Like I, I, like I'm not complaining. You know, I, I don't want it to seem like I. Uh, I, I don't think it was a bad. I think it was a great idea. I think you're exactly right. And but it was a great idea for the education people. And the main point of it clearly was, and I think this is the whole point of the event. Uh, here we are getting to our our main thesis. 15 minutes into the show. But the main point is that Apple is losing in the education market to Chromebooks. Yeah. Um, and they, that, that whole after show curriculum was entirely, if you think about it, things that you can do on an iPad that you can't do on a Chromebook. Oh, it completely. It's let, let me right? show you, let me show you why the app market and why the tablet interface is a better fit for teaching people of all from all walks of life, then here have a cheapo laptop. Right. Um, the other thing that they had after the event were what would they call them? Labs. They were just more. They're yeah. a little bit more traditional. A little bit more of a tradition. But they were. They were just in like regular classrooms, which they is were really little, cool. They were little mini WWDC sessions, almost interactive right. WWDC sessions. And they had. Um, developers with certain apps uh like ar apps ar was a big thing because ar is one of those things that's a it is cool but b uh ios is like ahead of the rest of the world by years at this it seems like at this point in terms of having it actually not be like conjectural but like here here's an actual ar thing that would be useful to have in a classroom mm -hmm. right now and not only can, you know, it's running on our $1,200 iPads, but also on this $329 iPad that, you know. Right, which is only $299 for education. Exactly. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the app. Which which I, uh, app was it? It was what, like a wayfaring app where you, you, you would point the iPad's camera at like a picture of the Roman Colosseum on the oh. desk, just like a printout. And then it would instantly, the actual Roman Colosseum would pop up out of the desk in three dimensions, like instantly, sort of like scanning a QR code, but Was instead that... of an ugly QR code. It's a book, like, <sighs> and scanning and then and you then have an instant thing. Uh, Was it Matt Braun's app? The guy who does Sketch Party? I know he, he also does one that's very similar to that. Yeah, maybe. Uh yeah, it was cool. In any case, it was really yeah, cool. It was very cool. <laughs> you know, I think my favorite VR or my favorite AR demo, which really wasn't AR so much as actual reality. Um, so I guess a different AR uh, was the Swift Playgrounds demos, which in fairness, I've actually seen variations of this before. Swift Playgrounds yeah. working together with Sphero is not new, but there the the difference was in how it was presented, whereas before it's always been very theoretical, like, hey, you can program Sphero droids in Swift Playgrounds. And in this lab, they actually built a tiny replica of Chicago on on a table, complete with like paper buildings and car and like toy box cars. And then they put a little a little Sphero spark, and it's like, okay, here we're going to give you an app. We're going to give you Swift Playgrounds, and your job is to program how far this spark needs to go and turn in order to get to our little, you know, paper Apple store, <laughs> and. As as gimmicky as it was, it 
made me feel powerful about programming Swift in a way that playing with Swift Playgrounds for about a year now has not. And then double mm. that with the with the drone lab. Did you do that one, John? Because that one was no, fun. No, it was too. <laughs> It looked cool. That was the one that was sort of like behind like a batting cage. Yeah, because like right? they didn't yeah, want yeah, drones yeah. to fly it. into people. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I don't blame them for that. I think that was I think that was well considered. Um, I did not do it, though, because there was too long of a line. And <sighs> I I'd lost lost my patience. That's okay. Fair. It is Matt Braun's app. It's okay. Matt Braun's app and it's called Waypoint. I will put it in the show notes. It's very cool. Um, waypoint edu but it really it's a super super fun and engaging way to see things like so the uh parthenon that shows up or not parthenon the roman Colosseum, um was sort of an attempt at um rendering it the way that actually looked when it was new as opposed to the state of ruin that it's in now and uh you could, you know, it, it, on an i, and it also really demonstrates like the advantage of an iPad over an iPhone for this because I could, you know, you could zoom in and it's so much bigger and you could see the detail. Uh, but you could really see the way that it worked in a way that like no single still photo could show you. Yeah, not not even a little bit. I uh, I right. find it's interesting because I definitely I know Fraser was uh, Fraser Spheres, who uh, of course is an educator. Uh, was being a little cranky about the AR stuff during the presentation and for good reason where he's like, okay, why, you know, there's the AR app Frogopedia that they showed and it's like, why is dissecting a virtual frog in AR on a tabletop so much more interesting than dissecting a virtual frog just with, you know, flat on the ground? And the answer is for that one, probably not so much. Um, But what is nice about different AR experiences like um, like uh, Waypoint is that you can really like walk around and zoom in and zoom out. And, uh, you know, there was another another app whose name escapes me that was uh, similar to Waypoint that uh, deals with interactive children, like turning books into interactive experiences uh, and showed like, oh, this is a first graders textbook about showing relationships between mama animals and baby animals. And so once you once the iPad sees the book, it automatically pops up this these three different biomes with like a mama elephant, a mama llama and uh, a mama llama say that five times fast and like a mama bear. And then you have these little tiny like kid kid animals in the in a dock type thing and then you basically your job is to like drag the animal to the appropriate the appropriate pair and then if you get it right they interact and they act real cute together and if you get it wrong they like completely ignore each other or get into a fight and and then the baby returns to the the dock and it's just yeah i don't know um have you ever do you have any this is a side tangent but i promise it makes sense like did, have you ever seen old video clips of yourself when you were a kid, like early kid, like three to seven? Mm, not many because I'm so old that it was that they they were on Super Eight film. Not yeah. we didn't have video. So here's the thing. <laughs> so there are some some Super Eight. My 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 mom's brother had a was sort of the gadget hand of the family, and he had some uh, Super Eight videos of us. Yeah. Do you have any? So my dad also filmed a bunch of us on like a bunch of early stuff on Super 8. And he's been digitizing it the last week. And he sent me a Dropbox folder full of all of these, these clips. And so I was watching 
one of them and it's like i'm i don't know i'm like two years old just about two years old and it's like these just puzzles you know just various various puzzles that you buy for kids and one of Mm. them is like match match the letter to the shape you know so it's like a w in the shape of a watermelon and then another one was like match the animal to the to the animal cutout um and i'm looking at this and and as i'm watching it i'm like this is exactly this education demo this is just this education demo for like 20 for 2018 instead of 1989 where instead of me physically putting, you know, a a block into another, you know, wooden cutout, instead I get to use a glass screen and virtually pair people. It's just it's it was a I don't know, it was it was a very weird to to have that kind of like, oh my god, everything old is new again. <laughs> yeah. All right, let me take a break here and thank our first sponsor. I'm very excited about this because this is a brand new sponsor for the show. And I absolutely have, I, I, I had never heard of this app before. And I feel like I should have because I, I, ne- I needed this. I need this app. Like, so this is now an app that is on my Mac and it will be used regularly. It's an app called Radio Silence. Radio Silence is an outbound firewall for your Mac. It shows you all the connections that apps make to networking, you know, whether they're just gathering analytics, showing ads, getting software updates. Um, And so if you see an app that's misbehaving or like when I can imagine using this is when I'm on some kind of like I'm traveling overseas or uh, sometimes over the years we've gone on cruises and you pay, you know, exorbitant rates for bandwidth. Um, And I've done it where it's like, I just open my Mac and I, 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 you know, spring for like 250 megabytes of, bandwidth or something i open my mac and like two minutes later it's like yep you're up and that's like i didn't even do anything yet just because of all the stuff running in the background um radio silence lets you see it and block it any app you don't want to connect to the network with a single click but there's a lot of apps that do stuff sort of like this and most of them are very complicated either a very complicated because they're sort of geared towards like a network administrator or from my perspective, and I'm not going to name names, but there are some apps that I've tried along this line that are incredibly annoying because they default to blocking everything. And then it's like, you know, you're getting all these notifications, ping this app's doing something, that app's doing something. Radio silence goes the other way. It is completely unobtrusive, uh, unobtrusive and invisible day to day. There's no pop-ups, no notifications, no blinking lights in your menu bar, no nothing. It, it's like you install it and it never interrupts your work or distracts you. You go to it to see what is using uh, networking and then you can block it. So it's something like for you to drive, not something that like pesters you. Um, it, and it, it really is as as unobtrusive as as, a, as they say. Just go to the website. It's uh, radiosilenceapp.com and just take a look at the screenshot and you'll see what I mean. It looks super modern. It is exactly what you would want in a simple... Almost like if Apple built a feature like this into Mac OS, just how nice and simple it is. Uh, I really, really like it. It's gotten great reviews. This is why I can't believe I didn't hear about it until now. But version 2.0 was on Macworld's uh, best-reviewed apps of the year back in 2016. And it's super cheap. It is so affordable. It's 9 bucks for a single person, and it's not tied to a single Mac. So if you've got like an iMac and a, a MacBook, you can install it on both of them uh, you're not cheating the license system. Nine bucks and forty nine dollars for a team license with no hard seat limit, suitable for small companies and families, uh, whatever you consider a quote unquote team. Uh, 
and the developer tr trusts your judgment on that. So it's, it's really, really just a super nice app. Um, so anyway, the last but not least, he offers a 30 day, no questions asked money back guarantee. So if you go and buy it and spend the nine bucks and within 30 days, you think that nine bucks wasn't money well spent, which I highly doubt. I don't know that anybody, I don't see why anybody would regret spending nine bucks on this, but all you have to do is send him an email and just say, Hey, can I get my money back? And with no gimmick or no pushback, he'll just give you your money back. So go check it out. Radio silence app dot com it's a fantastic app for the mac i really really love it um and i'm so happy to have him as a sponsor it's, it's a great app i'm happy to recommend it uh so the elephant in a room with this education advantage chromebooks and i yeah. thought one of the most interesting points of the whole thing was when greg joswiak uh actually mentioned chromebooks by name because i i like my ears perked up at that moment because I did not <laughs> expect that. And it was in context of iPad performance that with an A10 uh, system on a chip that it outperforms, I'm paraphrasing here, but I think I'm paraphrasing very closely, outperforms most uh, notebook PCs and virtually all Chromebooks. Uh, and part of the, there's a couple of things that were weird about that segment one was mentioning chromebooks by name mm -hmm. as opposed to quote unquote you know uh notebook pcs but the other thing and it's it is an uncomfortable situation for apple and maybe for intel that the truth is <laughs> a, a a10 powered ipad outperforms most macbooks too <laughs> so, <Yep>. right <laughs> Like it's one of the recurring themes of, you know, my show in recent months has been the undying popularity of the MacBook Air, uh, you know, and it, the truth is just very simple uh, that because the MacBook Air is the one that's nine hundred ninety nine dollars, that's still the one that most people buy when they go into an Apple store to buy a Mac. Uh, of course, they want the it's, it's, they want something cheap and reliable. Well, and for most people, nine hundred ninety nine dollars is not cheap. It's actually a lot of money. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's you know. Cheap, you know, cheap it, asterisk for a Mac. Right. Uh, and an iPad is, I think, by almost any measure, a more powerful computer with an Apple A10, you know, system on a chip is, is a more powerful computing device <laughs> and more, way more powerful GPU than what you get in a MacBook Air or in the, uh, the little thin MacBook, you know, with the, the whatever the low power Intel chip is. The core right. so that, it's, yeah. they don't so they can't really mention that right like apple's in a tight spot where they can't quite brag as thoroughly as they could on technical merits about the a10 because it would it would make their macs look bad yeah but I the, mean, the thing is here's the thing here's it, the whole thing is but does that matter because nobody's buying chromebooks because they're powerful they're buying them because they are dirt cheap and that's really and and they are optimized for using google docs which is what an awful lot of education you know a lot of schools are either have already moved or are moving to google docs and it's effectively a device that was built from the ground up to be like a front end to google's online services yeah and i so i think it you're matter? right does it I, matter that the a10 is more powerful i no except <laughs> I'd say no, no, if all you're doing is using Google Docs, right? If you're just writing reports right. or sharing spreadsheets or keynote or PowerPoint presentations, I don't think it matters. 
But the, I think the argument from Apple is that's not how you should be educating, which sounds really pretentious when I put it that way. But but no, I mean, I think Apple is saying we can be better for our students and we can make uh, we can make education not only more fun for students, but more fun for teachers and more contextualized and specific. Uh, one of the things that I thought was really cool that they talked about in the new class kit app or not class kit class it's the framework um schoolwork classroom class or oh, class no, schoolwork classwork schoolwork no <laughs> one of I those think it's, i think one of them is called classroom and that's the one where the teacher can manage the kids classes yeah or, or uh, the kids the ipads in a room yes and we'll talk about that we could talk i we definitely will talk about that in a bit and then i guess the other one is the other one the is students perspective yeah yeah schoolwork and so and that's how you can submit your homework and stuff like that. Yeah. But what I thought was really interesting about schoolwork is at first it just looks like any other managed education platform like can or like Canvas or Blackboard or anything. Most of them have been around for a while and they're like CMSs, which is to say they all suck and they all have limitations. Yeah. Uh, but what I thought was an interesting addition is the idea of oh, you know those, you know, hundreds of thousands of education apps that we have in the store? We're going to provide a really simple API that they can incorporate. So now, if you want to assign anything from those apps as an assignment, all you have to do is essentially, like, press a button, and then on the kid's side, they see new homework. Go to this app right. and complete this lesson, and all they have to do is press that button, and they're automatically zoomed into that app, specifically to that lesson, and then the teacher can yep. monitor that portion of it. Like, that, that is an example of something that no Chromebook will be able to do in a million years. Right. And I, I that was the part of the after event demo that all of a sudden I was totally engaged because I was like, oh, that's very interesting because it was like the quote unquote teacher who was, you know, like an Apple product marketing person pretending to be a teacher, but doing a very good job of it. It was like, Actually, that's the other I think thing they I thought. Were, like, I think they were distinguished educators. I think all of the teachers in the classroom uh, were. I don't know about that because I think I knew the guy who was doing mine. <laughs> uh, like I've seen him. I've seen him before. All right. Uh, so maybe, so maybe they were marketing people in education, but there were, yes. there were distinguished Yes. educators as the table leads because i do remember them saying yeah. that yes yes um but the part where he was like okay everybody's you know you, you know buddy up there's an ipad for every two of you um we're going to start the lesson and we're going to put you into clips and all of a sudden the ipad that we had was open and in, on a you know open to an existing like um clips project mm-hmm and, you know, hitting the home button wouldn't take you home. It's like you're you're in clips and you're going to like it. And I was <laughs> like, that is that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. I thought that was and it happened very quickly. Like the latency on that was obviously very, very low. It did not. It wasn't like a a spinner or something like that. It it was a solid demo. And it of course, it's, a, you know, it, you get the, the utility of that feature is so obvious. You don't even really need to talk about it. I mean, for class. So, like, yeah, <laughs> right. I think about, you know, I taught at Emerson for a year, and I think about uh, all of the stuff that I had to try and coax people through with uh, with coding, where it's like, okay, here is what's on my screen. Now we're going to code the same thing or do something very similar or follow along with me. And then having to go 
you know, walk screen by screen by screen to make sure that everybody was actually doing this and like and figured it out and understood stood all of it. And the idea that, oh, yeah, I can handle all of that. I can give every single student a preset and it can up live update with me or it can live update individually with them. I can instantly preview their screen on my screen without having to walk around like there. There are a lot of really fascinating tools in here. I thought the other thing that was interesting, I don't want to forget it while we're talking about classroom, but mm. that they, it was one of the few times where they mentioned the Mac. Uh, yes. And it was mm. that, that, you know, this, this classroom app is, is not new for iPad. It's been out for a while um, or at least a year. But they said one of the things we've heard from a lot of teachers is they want to do this from their MacBooks um, or I guess just Macs in general, if they have like an iMac. But yeah. for the most part, from what I've seen at Jonas's school, all the teachers have MacBook Airs. Every teacher. I don't think. I don't know if they're from the school or not. But like the kids use a combination of like Chromebooks and well, mostly Chromebooks. I think. Uh, other than now that he's older, he can bring his own device. But like when they were younger, it was a bunch of Chromebooks. But the teachers had MacBooks. Um, and so that make that was interesting to me. And the other thing that I thought was so interesting about this was that they said that the Mac version of Classroom isn't out now and won't be out even in beta and it'll be out in beta in June. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a friend of the show, uh, Manton Reese observed uh, just idly speculating on a, a Slack that we're on that he thought, I wonder if maybe it's because the classroom for Mac is built using the Marzipan, the rumored ah. you know, UI kit. That it, you know, there's this rumor that Apple is working on on a cross-platform framework, yeah, right, to make it easier to do iOS and Mac apps that share a code base. And if for just say, I, and again, it was just he doesn't work at Apple. It's just, but I thought he was a, it was a very keen observation, and it certainly makes sense with why it would be, why it would be beta in June. Because I asked Apple if it's beta, why not just release it now? And it, the answer was just sort of like it'll be out in beta in June. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in a way that they pay no attention. In a way, right? In a way that Apple has these non-answers ready to go for things they don't want to talk about, mm-hmm. right? Because if it's going to be finished in June, okay, but then release the beta now. But if it's going to be in beta in June anyway, why not release the beta now? And it would make sense if it's depending on some kind of OS update that will be announced at WWDC. Absolutely, and I think I think Matten is spot on there. Um, but I am excited that it's coming. Like, I think that that's a, that's a really, and also, you know, going back to the demo really quickly, I thought it was very smart of them to show how you can do this in a shared environment, right? It wasn't one-to-one there. It wasn't all students have their own iPad. Like, I think Apple is very realistic about the fact where it's like, if we're going to charge $2.99 for devices in the education market, no, it's not going to be a one-to-one classroom. Most likely people are going to share during a class and most likely they're going to have to, you know, swap out between classes. You know, the kid is not just going to have the iPad and then it gets stored in their locker while they're not using it. Like, I, I think it's very... Very smart of them, given the price restrictions. Uh, All right, let me take another break here and thank our next sponsor. Uh, These guys were on the show a couple weeks ago, and I think they were uh, really happy with the way that it went. It's Trace Pontas Coffee. Here's the deal. They sell freshly roasted gourmet coffee, and they ship it directly to you. 
their beans are roasted to order your order and shipped out immediately. So it's not like they roast it and then it sits on a shelf somewhere for a week or two. And then when you order it, it ships to you. Like they print the date that it was roasted right on it. And it, you know, I've gotten a couple of shipments from them already and it's literally within like days. And it, honestly, it makes a difference as a coffee, a bit of a coffee snob. It's like it, it coffee goes, it, it's more like fruit, you know, than people who are, you know, used to drinking uh, Maxwell's or something would think it goes bad quickly. Um, so getting it delivered quickly directly from them really makes a difference. Uh, there's not a lot of choices. They don't overwhelm you with choices. They have uh, four roast pri- profiles, but it's really just how dark of a roast it is. They've got light, medium, dark, and French roast. I've had all of them. Uh, I'm pretty sure medium medium is 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 what I like best. But that's me. Maybe if you like darker roast, more roasted coffee, uh, you would you know you might think differently. Um, so here's the deal. It's a single origin family it, down in Brazil. And the their family has owned, owned this coffee plantation for generations, um, and only have recently begun selling to uh, United States. Previously, they had been selling all of their coffee to local roasters in Brazil. So it's the first time they've ever exported their coffee to the United States. And so you can get Brazilian coffee now when you couldn't before. Uh, and it's really, really great. There's so much information at their website about the farm and about how it's all sustainable and about how everybody who works there is taken care of. It's a really good company that really cares for their employees. And just honest, selfishly, it, fresh coffee tastes great. And so here's the deal. You can go there and just buy some coffee to try it. Uh, and where you can go, there's two ways to do it. You go to tracepontas.com, T-R-E-S, Pontas, P-O-N-T-A-S, dot com slash coffee. You can go there and find out. Uh, The other way is you can go to Amazon and search for Trace Pontas, and their coffee will be the first thing that you buy. But even when you buy on Amazon, your coffee comes from Trace Pontas. They're just using Amazon as a front end for the orders. It's not sitting there on a big shelf in a warehouse that Amazon owns or something like that. You're getting the same coffee, and they're they're encouraging me to tell you, if you'd rather buy from Amazon for the convenience of checking out, do it. You're getting the exact same coffee as if you go to TracePontas.com. And... You get free shipping in the U.S. Uh, regardless of which way you order it. I don't know how they do that, but it's amazing. So on the Trace Pontas website, you can sign up for a coffee subscription. This is a special deal for listeners of the show. And get freshly roasted beans sent to you every one, two, or four weeks. Your choice. I, I, I'm a two-week two person because nobody else in the house drinks coffee. Uh, and, and one bag every two weeks is perfect. Uh, and when you sign up for a subscription, uh, you'll save 10% on every bag by using the code the talk show at checkout and that the coffee subscription is 10% off for anybody. But if you use that code, the talk show, you get an extra 10% off and you'll save 20% off every bag of coffee in your subscription for as long as you have the subscription. So you could save 20% for years at a time. So my thanks to them. I've, I've just finished as we were talking to show sometime, sometime around the first sponsor break is when I finished uh, a cup of their coffee and it's delicious. It's really good. So my thanks to Trace Pontas. Check them out. All right, here's my the next thing I want to talk about before before I forget Shoot. is this feature. It's this feature that is not new, but somehow I missed last year when it shipped, which is that these education iPads have multiple sign-on. So, like you said, a class could have like t- a, just a stack of ten iPads, and the kids just come up and pick one up. 
and they they can just select their you know it'll be set up for the class already so it'd have a list of all the kids in the class and then you tap your name and you're signed in to your stuff yeah and, and authenticate over we should we should know it right um does, does it use touch id i don't even know i'm not uh, sure if it's uh, such uh, a, i think it's a passcode <laughs> yeah i think it can't use touch id because that yeah that couldn't be shared between ipads because it's a secure enclave yeah. Um, but I think presumably because they're locked down in other ways, they don't really need that much authentication. You know what I mean? Like they, you don't have to really worry about that. Um, but here's, so it's a neat feature. It, the iPads that we got to demo were set up using it. Uh, I thought it was really cool, but my question is how come that this feature hasn't made it to consumers yet? Cause I think that a family iPad is a thing people would want to have like an ipad that just stays on the living room coffee table and anybody in the family can pick it up and use it and when they use it it's them so their iMessages are coming in it's their email they're seeing you know i i i there's a platform called the mac that has had this feature ever since uh, Mac OS Four 10 years. shipped in 2001, where you can have multiple user accounts on one device, and then you could have like a shared iMac, and you just log out, and then you know somebody you know somebody else in your household can log in. Uh, this seems like a feature. Uh, number one, I know it's a feature people want on iPads, but it seems like they they kind of have it working for this classroom. Yeah. Right? I think they have it working on the software side, but I gotta, I gotta assume that Apple does not want to implement it until it can either make the secure enclave big enough or secure enough right. so that you can register touch ID and or face ID matches right. for everyone in your family. Because I think when it comes to classwork, right. Um, obviously passcodes are important, but I don't think they're as concerned as we have to protect individual people's data because that iPad, we look at everything that's happening politically and everything that's happening security wise lately, you know, that iPad may just live in your living room, but there's also a chance that you might bring that iPad on a trip. And if that iPad gets lost, I don't think they, Apple wants the responsibility of only having a four or six digit passcode on right. your, you know, on your iPad for somebody to crack and then get access to your banking information or your kids' health records, for instance. You know, I think hmm. that's my that's my non-educated like presumption as to why it hasn't shown up. Because clearly, yeah, they have the software. The software seems to yeah. work really well. And people use it on their Macs, and mm-hmm. people definitely would use it on iPads. Because uh, I, you know, I think that for a lot of families, I mean. I guess it would vary, but I think for some families, uh, you don't, you know, it's a lot like a classroom where you don't really need a one-to-one iPad to family members. No. Maybe Apple and, just wants know, people I, to buy iPads. Right. Well, that's the, the cynical answer. <laughs> yeah. Is, no, is no. That they, but... <laughs> they, they want you to buy one-to-one. Everybody gets an iPad. Uh, you get an you know, iPad and, and you get an iPad. Uh, you know, I, it's possible that that's the explanation. Uh while we're on that point, I will say this, is why, why did Apple hold this event? I think, and, and I forget who it was, a Boing Boing, somebody at Boing Boing wrote a pretty snarky article, pretty much trying to argue that all Apple does is, all they want is mo- the money from the schools for iPads. And I don't think that's the case, because uh, 
you know, they're not there. It's true that they're not giving away these iPads. You know, they are charging schools $299 for each of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is their by far their, their lowest price iPad. Uh, it's, it's and not, it's not it, feature. You know, it, yeah. It's not robbing people of feature. Like this iPad is probably, this is the first time I've ever, uh, recommended the base model iPad over an iPad pro since the pros got released in part because like the processor is solid and Apple Pencil support is huge and no the display isn't laminated but you know you can right. you can sacrifice some things for a and 329 you don't get true tone. Yeah exactly. Right. It's like those are things that would be nice to have but in order to get the right. price that low I mean we got to think about when where these iPads started right like 499 right. 599 price points. It's indisputably a way better display than you get on a Mac 999 MacBook Air because oh, a yeah, MacBook Retina. Air uh, still doesn't have Retina. So it, it's a, a phenomenally better display than uh, a MacBook Air. I mean, I guess you could argue that the MacBook Air being 13 inches is better for some things. But I eh. think most people would agree that on the whole, it's, it's no comparison which has a better display. And it's only the 329. Um and, and the whole show, they they really they never even mentioned iPad Pro. There there was no insinuation of oh, and you could do this on an iPad Pro. Uh, you know, they, it's it was entirely geared towards selling schools two hundred ninety nine dollar iPads. Yeah, and not even school. Uh, I think just ed, just customers in general who might want to do education based things on their iPad or just have a smart iPad that allows them to do a lot of different sub like work on a lot of different subjects. Like this this iPad in my opinion, like it may be geared towards schools with pencil support and a faster processor and everything else that comes along with it. But this iPad is indisputably this is this is the iPad that's going to weasel its way into a bunch of people's lives. Because it's I suddenly- honestly th- I honestly think Apple, it bothers Apple that schools are moving towards piece of shit Chromebooks and that they just think that it's just wrong. You know, that, oh, why, yeah. you know, we should be giving our kids the best experience they can, they can have and having a, a junky little $129, you know, Chromebook that only all, all it does is show browser tabs. It's just, I, I just think it doesn't sit right with them. I really yeah. don't think it's about the money. And I think... I think it's questionable whether this is going to work. I'm not sure that they can turn this around, this trend around, but it's fascinating to me to see Apple try, that they care. And I think even if it's as successful as it could possibly be, like however successful this renewed push into education with this focus on the the, the, the new 9.7-inch iPad, for lack of a better name, and Apple Pencil and some additional pencil you know, enabled apps. If it's as successful as it can possibly be, I don't, I still don't think it's a meaningful, uh, amount of revenue to Apple. No, I really, I, I not meaning less, I guess, but it's not, it's not really, it, it really can't be about the money. It's, it's just not a big enough, it's not a big enough market and it's not a high enough priced product when they're selling 70 gazillion, you know, $1,100 iPhone tens, you know, in a quarter. Oh, of course. Well, and I think it's also I, worth noting that their education, you know, this is not something that Apple necessarily publicizes, but their education page does say, you know, we'll work with schools on licensing on, on fees. If you, you know, want to rent the iPads instead of buy the iPads and we can work with you on purchasing programs. If you are, you know, if yep. you're, if your school district doesn't have the money to just shell out hundreds of these, like I think Apple and this is the the really interesting thing to me about Apple as a company is that most companies, if they do 
what we'd call, you know, social social good in the world, you get 10 million press releases about it. And Apple's not immune to this. Yeah. I mean, as we can see from their educate or their uh, their environmental press releases, but like I would say the vast majority of the little wins that Apple does for the for the community never get publicized. Like or if they get publicized, they get publicized because somebody at Apple is really happy about it and leaks it to somebody so that they'll actually yeah. know. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Apple, like, it, we were talking, uh, I was talking with Jason before the before the event about, like, oh, all of these lights that are in the auditorium, this is crazy. And someone on Twitter was snarking, it was like, well, if Apple really cared about the school, they would donate those lights. And I'm like, we don't know that they didn't. Like, right. just because Apple didn't put out a press release saying, like, right, we just right, spent right. $30,000 on this school. Like, I think they're doing a lot of good in the education market that we just never hear about because it's little projects, you know? It's like at that Atlanta, Georgia school. Like, I can't imagine right. a low-income Atlanta, Georgia school is shelling out for 30 iPads. Like, I, I have to believe that Apple right. is genuinely committed here. Yeah. Um, one thing I heard behind the scenes uh, – and it's secondhand, so it's, you know, I don't know. But I heard that it part of this renewed sort of 2.0 take on iBooks or, or iPads for education, with 1.0 being started a couple of years back at the Guggenheim show. I think it was like 2014? Mm-hmm, 2015, it was four maybe? years ago? 14, yeah. Um, it, that one of the ways that they're rethinking this approach is a focus on... It's sort of the upending the pyramid of sales, right? Where if you remember like 2015 or so, there were a lot of these announcements like LA school district buys 60,000 iPads. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there were stories that came out later that a lot of these schools were unhappy with it, that it was hard to manage, that the management tools, you know, that, you know, there just wasn't cut out to manage 60,000 iPads, et cetera. And that they're really doing it the other way this time where they're really focusing on just like selling 30 iPads to several thousand schools as opposed to selling 60,000 to one school district. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a much smaller approach, but that they, you know, obviously hope would, would multiply by the number of schools that can do it. Yeah. I honestly I think know. that's the better way to do it because especially if you think about the, what they were talking about in their keynote, you know, it was all of these stories about, individual classrooms and individual teachers. It wasn't like, oh, this school yeah. district has adopted yeah. our things and now they have seen great success. It's like, no, let's let's actually tell you what, you know, your your teacher next door is doing with this product. And it reminds me a lot of how the early Mac sold, you know, in terms of like, yeah. this is Mac Paint. Look at someone paint a picture, you know, not not look at the, you know, overwhelming power of this beautiful battle station iPad. It's 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 personal in a way that it hasn't been in a while. When I was in elementary school, we didn't have a lot of computers. And I think that the ones we did in hindsight were all sort of spearheaded by individual. I, I don't know that they I don't think the teachers spent their own money, although in, in one case, I think he did. Um <laughs> That it was like his computer in the back of the classroom. Um, but a couple of the teachers who did have computers in their classroom had the TI-99 4A. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, it's it was sort of the Chromebook of the day because it was a lot cheaper than an Apple II. Um, but when I first saw an Apple IIe, 
I just, I love, you know, of course, unsurprisingly, I was, I would, I would do anything and everything I could to get as much time on any computer in any classroom that I possibly could. But when I first saw the Apple IIe, I was just like, oh, this, this, this is, is a computer. This is the, right. <laughs> and it was, it was like, and, you know, had a better keyboard. Uh, everything was nicer about it. Um, and I, you know, I just think back to the teachers that, you know, it's probably why. I mean, maybe different kids from my school had different favorite teachers, but like Mr. Leinbach was our fifth grade social studies and math teacher, and he had the TI-99 4A in the back of his classroom. Uh, he was one of my favorite teachers of, of grade school. He was just, you know, he's everything you would want in a teacher. He, you know, he was funny. He was engaged. He got to know every kid. You know, he really, you know, and, and, and I just, you know, would remember that he would, he, he would, he wouldn't let like the shy kids uh, just pass through unnoticed. Like he'd make, you know, he'd make a point of engaging them. Uh, and I think that's the type of teacher Apple's still focused on is, it's, you know, sort of enabling the star teachers to, to do the awesome stuff that they can do even, yeah. you know, cause let's face it. It's, you know, not every teacher, you know, not every teacher's great. That's, and you know. yeah, not every not every teacher wants to go above and beyond, and and not even because they don't care. It's just sometimes you know you're you're teaching seven classes. I think right, or of, they just they're just or they're just not that good at it. <laughs> <laughs> to be yeah. honest, I'd it's like, an uncomfortable I'd like, truth. I know, I know. I'd like to believe that you don't go into teaching without you know wanting to make kids' lives better. But I also understand like there's. There's there are other factors, but I want to say I I really detected that in Apple's event that this was about and they, you know, they even featured them in the videos and had a couple of them come on stage. Um, um, I will also say, I think I I don't know. I don't I I don't know if somebody kept track, but I believe that it was the single highest ratio of women to men at an Apple event ever. by a long shot. I kept track, John. (laughs) What's that? I said I kept track. All right. So what was the, I believe that the only two men who were on stage were Tim Cook and Jaws, right? And Jaws. Yep. Every single guest presenter was, was a woman. And I, I personally think that's fantastic. I know some people who are being, again, kind of cynical about it being like, well, that's because women are primarily in education and that just says bad things about our education market. And I'm like, we can acknowledge simultaneously that there are issues in education while also commending Apple for going out of its way to put women right. on stage. And not just women, right. women of color, women of different ages, you know, different sizes, shapes. Like, I just I think right. any any chance to give women the mic when they haven't been on like competent women i just you know they're not just throwing people up there who happen to have a female gender like they're just they are showing oh these people are in education and are really smart and doing really wonderful things like that's that's the important part there right and you know and including but also including apple employees like uh susan prescott yes uh, susan prescott Who's amazing. She is, you know, and you could totally see how she is like a very high level VP and product marketing group. Uh, but she like she like knows those apps stone cold. Like she's really, really good. Oh, yeah. Without question. She's she's such a great presenter. And I'm so glad that we got to see her on stage. 
But yeah, I yeah. mean, like, it's interesting because, you know, Apple doesn't just have three schools that they have iPads in. Like, I'm sure they have hundreds, if not thousands. Um, so they had they probably had tons of well-spoken teachers to choose from. And the fact that they went out of their way, I, I that really meant a lot to me. Again, in yeah. education, like, it's nice to see people who are not only doing really interesting things, um, but also who are a little bit different from the voices that we usually hear on yeah. stage talking about STEM. So that was really no. Cool. I thought it was, yeah. I thought, and it was a, a solid event too. Insofar as they did, because they didn't have a lot of news to announce. Uh, it was an hour in and out, and didn't feel like it was a minute too long. No, and it's a discipline that most tech companies don't have. Like <laughs> it, most tech companies, if they have a little bit of news, they're still going to take two hours. <laughs> for their event or, uh, like they can't help half. themselves <laughs> right they they can't help themselves because it's like a political thing that somehow apple has continued to manage culturally within the company after their you know without steve jobs that they're still it, it's so obvious at some events how the politics played out where it's like well you've got to if you're going to give uh you know the guy from google docs this much time at uh you know whatever, <laughs> what's google's developer conference uh, uh Oh, it, uh, X, no, F, uh, IO, IO. IO, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, XO, uh, well, that's you, not right. <laughs> oh, we got to give the, we got to give the Gmail team some, some time. So we got to, you know, here, and it's, you could just see the politics playing out on stage by who's up there and for how long. And you really just don't see that at an Apple event. No, it's, it's in and out. I think the, the last thing I kind of want to say on this is just as somebody who, the, the whole reason why I am doing what I'm doing today is because I got hooked on Macs and hooked on computers early. And a big force was that was not only my teachers, but actually my dad, like my dad who worked at Caltech, essentially got Caltech to donate 30 Mac pluses to my elementary school. Like, because we had these janky, horrible DOS machines. And he not only, like he got all of this. And then when he did it, the school was like, no, we don't have anybody who's going to teach them. Like, no one knows how to use them. So we're not going to, like, we're not going to accept this. And he's like, all right, what if I also donate my time as a teacher and, like, teach these kids how to use this? And no joke, for the next five years, five, six years, my dad was volunteer. I think maybe he got paid at the, the last year. But otherwise, he was a volunteer computer teacher for, like, four or five years for the L.A. County School District and, like, or Pasadena School District, like, helping helping kids learn how to use Macs. Um, and, I'm like, I have no <laughs> That's doubt. That's amazing. Yeah, exactly. That's it's just truly like, amazing. But like that's the kind of thing is like I know there are people out there right now who are doing that with iPads and doing that with computer. Like you said, it's like it's it's the people who go above and beyond and they really do make a difference in people's lives. Like my dad made a difference in my life for many reasons, but like that that is a chief one of why I'm why I'm reporting on Apple these days. I so. I've told this story before, but it's to me it's evergreen and it's, it feels like a natural point to bring it up, which is that uh I never owned a computer until I went to college. <laughs> And I desperately wanted one from the moment I first encountered. We did, you know, we had like an Atari. We had a video game system, but my I couldn't get a computer. But I only wanted an Apple. I, I didn't want, you know, to settle for like a Commodore 64. <laughs> uh, and they were expensive. 
and my parents didn't really, you know, uh, the, the, but the funny thing is that most of my friends who wanted to get a computer, the argument from their parents would be, I'm not spending all that money on a computer. You're never going to play it or you're only going to play games. You know, you're not going to use it. My parents' argument for not buying me a computer was that if we buy you a computer, you're never going to leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> not untrue. And I was so I was so irrationally angry. I'm like, you're not. You're even admitting that I'm going to get. You know, however much it costs, you're, I'm going to get every penny of value out of this, <laughs> and you won't buy this thing for me. That I'm, and I'm still thinking about it. Like every day, there wouldn't be like a day of my life, like like I don't know, third, fourth grade on, where I didn't think, boy, I wish I had a computer <laughs> every day. Yeah. Oh my in, god. In hindsight. In hindsight, though, I, I, I'm still, I still don't agree with their decision, but I do agree with the fact that they were probably right that I wouldn't have left the house. I know I definitely uh, – there was definitely a significant portion of my social life that was spent on my iMac and on my iBook, right. not – not in real life. So yeah, I, uh, I agree. With I think parents. I've told, I think I've told this story before too. So like in, in between 10th and 11th grades, our high school, our, it was a small public school district and they had back in, in like the seventies through like the mid eighties, they had three schools, an elementary school, a middle school and a high school and population dwindled a bit. Um, uh, and so they closed the middle school and just had one to six went to the elementary school, seven to 12 went to the now called junior senior high school. Um, and between 10th and 11th grade, they switched buildings for the junior senior high school from the old high school building to the shuttered for a decade former middle school because the roof was so leaky. <laughs> like that's literally how public education works. Where like it seemed so it was seemed so daunting to fix their leaky roof that they literally moved the school from one building to another. And they hired a bunch of kids. I it was my summer job was helping to move the school. But but the computer teacher did Mrs. Spatz who was a fantastic teacher one of my you know really a truly a, a ran a great high school junior high school computer science program for a public school. Um, and, and look where I am, you know, obviously, you know, she did something right. Um, but what she, she was worried about letting like movers move the computers. So she let, uh, she let some of the kids who she trusted take them home for the summer. So I got to huh. take an apple. I got to take an apple two GS home for the summer. Um, cause she trusted me more to take good care of it and then bring it back in September. And so I had an Apple two GS for the summer and I like, I was like on it, like every waking moment that I could. And my parents were like, see, that's why we didn't want to buy you one of these things. They're again, they're not wrong, but, but right. I'm sure you got a great use funny. out of it that summer. Oh, love that computer. What a great, what a great computer that was. Um, all right, let me take it one last break here. Thank our third and final sponsor, uh, Squarespace. Look, Squarespace sponsors this show all the time, right? You know what they do. You go there, you can sign up, make a website, you can get your domain name, you pick templates, uh, you can customize them out the wazoo. I'm telling you right now, though, it, it, it is the best way to start, especially for if you don't want to be like uh, on the hook for keeping somebody else's website up to date. Like, so if like, you know, think about it, you're listening to the talk show, you're a nerd, really. 
So you're probably the person who like when the non-technical people in your life, whether they're in your family, whether they're friends, when they have something where they need to make a website, or maybe it's like a community group, like your church or a school group or something like that, or a neighborhood type thing, uh, they probably, you're probably the one who's like on the hook for this. I'm telling you, use Squarespace for this because it's A, easy, B, requires no technical knowledge. So anybody can just, it's just all drag and drop to, to set stuff up, rearrange it, get it the way you want it. And if anybody actually does need help for something, they can just contact Squarespace. Squarespace has literally award-winning technical support and they're used to dealing with non-technical people. Uh, it's, it's, you know, the, the service itself is great, but the technical support is amazing. Uh, and it's not something people expect because we're, we've moved on to this world where people don't even expect that, that you can like call for technical support. Like who do you call to get technical support from Twitter? Guess what? There is no, they don't even have like a phone hooked up. Uh, Squarespace really takes it seriously. Uh, and it's, it's really one of the probably the most underrated part of the whole Squarespace success story is how good their tech su support is. So the next time you need to make a website, whether it's for yourself or uh, somebody you know, do it with Squarespace. Just give it an hour and try and see how far you can go and how nice you can get it and how, how much you can make it just the way you want it to be. Uh, and when you do go, when you pay, you can go there, go to squarespace.com and you get, uh, you get a free trial for, I think, 30 days. And then when you do pay... You get a free trial at squarespace.com. When you do pay, just remember the code TALKSHOW. No the, just TALKSHOW. And you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Uh, my thanks to Squarespace for their continued support of the talk show. Uh, all right, here's another one I don't want to forget. Shoot. Uh, on, along the lines of why do education iPad users get multiple sign-ins and consumers don't, um, and I'm stealing this from you from our shared note. This was actually your observation, but I'm taking credit for it. <laughs> is how come education users get their base storage for iCloud bumped to 200 gigabytes and everybody else is stuck at five gigabytes? I'm still cranky about this. I'm sure it's coming at WWDC. I'm sure it's going to be part of some iCloud announcement. And it's maybe it's not even going to be two. Maybe it's going to be like, everybody's going to have a terabyte free now because we need to keep up with Dropbox and Google. Um but I'm sure they want to do it like that. And they didn't want to muddy up their cons their yeah. education announcement with a consumer announcement. So right. until then, we suffer. Right. Right. I hope so. Because and, – and Moltz and I always joke when he's on that, you know, the entire tech punditry class uh, – is an expert at spending other companies' money. You know, like we call it spending Tim Cook's money. Uh, so it is easy to say Apple – you know, Apple is so – successful they have so much money they could afford to give people 200 gigabytes or whatever i realize it's not my money but at this point five gigabytes is so stingy it is it, it feels so absurd. mean it doesn't it's not even enough to back up anybody's right. iphone at this point especially with like a photo library like no right it, it it really you know like storage and ram as they, you know, continue to grow, it, it's it's silly thinking. You know, we're we were just talking about like the you know our our childhood days of you know using a Mac Plus. You know, like what do you have a Mac Plus? You said, yeah, uh, yeah, I had a Mac you know, Plus. We, yeah, probably had like two two megabytes of RAM, <laughs> maybe one megabyte <laughs> of RAM. 
<laughs> I think I, it's something like that. What? Like, yeah. Crazy. But at the time, at that time, though, it was like, well, that's amazing because the original Mac only had 512 kilobytes of RAM. Uh, it, it, everything grows, but it, it there comes a point where you grow past it and you're like, well, how the hell did we ever use those for anything? Like thinking about like floppy disks and it's like, you just create like a pages document and you drag some images in and you hit command S and you go and look and there it is. And it's, you know, like six megabytes and you're like, well, what the hell if this, like I just made like a word processing document, it's already six megabytes. There's hardly anything in it. And a floppy disk was only uh, 1.4 megabytes. And then, you know, other people are like, 1.4, I remember 700 kilobyte floppies, you know. Uh, it, it, five gigabytes for online storage feels like flo- like a floppy disk at this point, right? Yeah. It just, it, it, we're shooting, these these devices have these magnificent cameras that shoot 4K video. Uh, it, it, I, 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 it really stuck out. That's one of the other points of the event where I was just like, come on. And I guess you're right that they just didn't want to muddy an education event with a consumer event and WWDC will be here soon enough. But, boy, I sure hope WWDC's keynote doesn't come and go without uh, an announcement on that front. Yeah, it's I mean, if it if it does, then somebody somebody done screwed up because, uh, yeah, it's 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 past time, Apple. Like, it's not. We it's need, not that hard. We need more storage. Everybody, everybody is, you know, and, and it's just such a, it's such a pressure point and people don't want to pay. They're, you know, so saying, hey, it's not that expensive, you know, you, just for like a dollar a month, you can get upgraded to a pretty good amount. People aren't going to do it. And it's, it's irrational. I, I admit it's irrational it's to buy irrational. an 11. It's completely irrational to be happy to buy an $1,100 iPhone 10 and completely refuse to spend a dollar a month to upgrade your iCloud storage. And then just, you know, I'll just, I'll just not have online backups. You know, it's, it's irrational, but that's the way people are. People don't want to pay for stuff like this. They just don't, it just does not compute to them that they should have to pay for it. And they don't really know what iCloud is, right? Like that's the thing is they're like, I don't even know what the iCloud is. What's, what's my iCloud? And that's sort of the nature of the well-designed system that iOS is that you don't really have to know. You don't have to understand, you know, what different buckets, you know, what's the difference between iCloud Drive and your iCloud photo library and, and the other different things, ways that you interact with iCloud. You don't really have to know about it, but uh, it, that's why people don't want to pay for it because they don't even know. Yeah, well, exactly. And it's not like Apple has made it very simple. And they really could. They could just say, hey, your file's up. Your iCloud library, your photo library is in there now. Everything that you're paying for, it's for files. Pay for files. Just like Dropbox, but for your Mac. And it's right. I, like, especially with, you know what? Have you tried the new pages and numbers and keynote updates yet? I know we're kind no, of ju- jumping I, topics a little bit. No, but, no, but I, I just got the notification, like, you know how like when you first open one of those docs after one of those apps after they have an update they they have it's like it is like apple's version of sparkle you know the, the yeah. thing that updates you know your app but they can't the apps can't update themselves like you have to go to the app store it's like go to the app store yeah exactly it's i wish i wish it would be easier to do that but regardless uh pages is i, I mean i i, I don't want to 
not knock on wood here, but like Pages is functional right now. And not just functional, like Pages is pretty, pretty good. And then it's pretty good on the web, too. And I tried collaboration and I didn't want to tear my hair out. So uh, Hmm. so I look at that and granted, I've only been using it for like two days. There's still plenty of time for it to mess up and make me hate everything. But like I look at that and I'm saying, okay, well, Apple clearly wants to put some time and, you know, money into this, into investing, you know, perhaps making its iWork suite uh, on par with something like Office 365 or Google Docs. Um, then it needs to have the easy storage system and the easy storage system yeah. space to keep up with it. So it's like the 200 gigs. I think that's partially, yeah, they're making. It's partially, yeah, they're making. Uh, they're making all kinds of uh, movies and stuff like that. But partially, I think it's because now when you create a Pages document, you automatically go into the Files app first, where it's just like, here's right. your Files app. Where would you like to save this document? Um, and yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think that that makes it a little bit easier to stomach and understand. Yeah, I'm intrigued by the new feature and or not keynote pages where you can uh, use the pencil to circle, you know, like to make like corrections. Yes. Like, so the the, mm. the the demo example, of course, was a teacher correcting a student's paper and underlining a, a f- the first sentence of a of a first word of a sentence that wasn't uppercase so underline it to show that that needs to be uppercase and then circling another word but then as you make subsequent edits those those annotations aren't just uh at an xy coordinate on the page they you know the same word that you underline stays underlined as you enter like a new paragraph that's pretty cool it is it's really cool and in theory this is really isn't all that much different than commenting on something right but what i really appreciate and again it's kind of it's old school apple where they're like hey we know that lots of teachers and lots of copy editors oh hi copy editors we know that you like editing things by hand we know that you don't necessarily want to double tap to highlight a word or phrase and then type out a long comment you want to use the shorthand that you've been using for years so here's a way for you to use shorthand and have yeah. it work the same way that a comments section works. It's yeah. like it's such a brilliant little feature they don't technically have to inter like make, but they made. Yeah. Um so what is have you figured out the full story on ebook software now? Yes. Like <laughs> uh, so all right, tell what is going on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. So baseline I guess like the the history lesson here is when Apple first got into ebooks, they got into ebooks in kind of a haphazard way through pages. And this was like 20, 2010, 2011, I want to say, like early, early, early. Uh, they're like, hey, people want to make ebooks in a way that's not just tearing their hair out through InDesign or hand coding it themselves. Uh, so let's make a super rudimentary export option in pages. Uh, and that was awful. I mean, it was great in that you could make an ebook without using InDesign, but it was also awful because you had no idea what kept as styling and what disappeared because Apple didn't actually have that like nice little compatibility window that it has now where it's like, this didn't export properly. Uh, so you were, it was a guessing game for a long time being like, 
does this work in an ebook? Does this work in an ebook? No? Okay. Uh, so after about a couple years of that, Apple's like, hey, maybe we should make a, a better tool that doesn't quite suck as much, uh, especially because um, with, you know, the iBook store and everything, we want to give people the opportunity to make these really beautiful, you know, nice looking books because ebooks in general suck. They, they suck to look at. They're a great idea, but right. they just don't look pretty. Uh, so Apple took what was a burgeoning format in terms of EPUB 3, um, but it was still very early. It was like early days of HTML5 when it was in beta, right? Where just like half of the things didn't work and they didn't work properly across all platforms. So Apple said, you know, screw this. We're going to wrap EPUB 3 in our own custom .ibooks format, which is essentially the EPUB 3 format with some extra CSS, like some custom CSS. Uh, not unlike WebKit, basically. Uh, and they're right. like, here, we've made you a program called iBooks Author that can that can make these books. Uh, but the catch is it can only make these dot iBooks custom, you know, proprietary books that can only be read on the app store or on the iBook store because the other the other uh, competing bookstores will not know what the heck to do with this. Uh, so yeah. that's so that's kind of been their book strategy for a while is, oh, if you want to build like a simple book, you can do it in pages. But if you want to do anything with graphics or anything with stylization or fonts and, and to have smart, smart, like support for rotation so that if it's on an iPad and you're holding it in landscape, you get a different layout than if yep. you're holding it in portrait. Exactly. The difference between a fixed format and a reflowable book, uh, which reflowable, you can change the text size. Uh, so, you know, they've had this for a few years, but the, the big problem, of course, is that almost as soon as they made it, EPUB 3 started getting decent. So about, I'd say about a year after iBooks Author came out, EPUB 3 started implementing all of these these fixes and changes that kind of made the iBooks format look really janky <laughs> and mm -hmm. and be like, well, you could do it. You could do video embed you know, the way that the iBooks store does, or the iBooks format does it, or you can do video embed the way that the EPUB 3 store or the EPUB 3 format does it. And uh, I think the iWork team was in a bit of a pickle because they're like, well, we have EPUB 3 support for pa in pages, but the pages implementation right now is non-existent other than like rudimentary text. Um, we could build off of that, but we also have this custom book application that we just spent a lot of time putting effort into. Uh, so we're not really sure what to do. And I think the the answer here became, well, we've got this custom book format um, and it's going to be around a little bit longer because we can't do everything that we want to do in pages with EPUB 3. Uh, but we're going to put all of our mental might behind pages and EPUB 3 because we've already built it for iOS and we've already built it for the web. So really, for us to ex like expand upon it, all we have to do is put in more tools and hook these things up. Whereas for iBooks Author, it would be like, it would be a whole lot more work for us to not only port it over to iOS, but if we're still porting it over to iOS with the .iBooks format, then we're still working on this like super janky format. Uh, so the the TLDR of the situation is that iBooks Author still exists. It's not being discontinued. It's not being, you know, it's not disappearing. Uh, but I don't think it will exist for much longer. I think it will probably stick around for another year or so and maybe get some security updates. But by and large, it looks like Apple's kind of tying their 
tying their horse to pages as saying, hey, you know, like this is a really we're going to make this the best word processing app that we possibly can on the Mac. Um, And we basically want it that no matter what document that you're creating, you can export whatever you want, whether that's a book and you want it to make it look like a book, whether you want to export it as a PDF, whether you want to export it as a poster and print it. Like, we just want to give you one app to do all of these things. Um, and so that's... Yeah, that's, I, I, yeah. <laughs> I thought after... I remember asking you after the event, like, what the heck was going on with iBooks Author? I thought the fact that they didn't even mention it. I, I expected that by the time the event was over, the iBooks Author wasn't even in the App Store anymore. No. <laughs> like, be, so it is... That's not true. It is still there. I'm looking at the page in the App Store right now. But it, the fact that they never even mentioned it was, it, you know... About it's damning. As proof positive as you're going to get that 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 their answer to how do you make custom books, you know, for you know, how do you make a book is use pages. Yeah. Well, and I mean, there's there's good reason for it. Like the pages, I haven't played with it a whole lot, but the pages, uh, the new pages stuff for books is pretty like pretty thorough for the basics. It's pretty thorough yeah. for text, for galleries, for video. Uh, where it gets a little bit questionable, and which by questionable I mean not possible, is when you get into iBooks Author's more like niche features, like the popovers that were made, yeah. or like the HTML5 widgets. Pages doesn't support those yet, and I don't know if they will. Like, I'd like to believe that they're going to add glossaries and like figure numbers and things like that to pages because it seems like a, a thing that would be pretty easy to add in a roadmap. Uh, but some of the more niche, like iBooks author features, there's a question on whether or not it makes sense for them to to add that, um, and that's why that so the, still exists. <laughs> the file format story then is that if you use iBooks author, you're still making .dot iBooks books. Yes, but if you use Pages, the new version of Pages, and export, you're going to export EPUB three. Yeah. So you're going to make you're going to make a book that's able to be read whether it's fixed format or flowable. It can be read on an iBook or on a on iBooks. It can be theoretically read on a Kindle. It can be theoretically read on another ebook reader. Like that's the open format. Yeah. So that does sound better. And I don't think that they created the iBook. I think you're right. I think, you know, I don't think they created the iBooks dot iBooks format just out of proprietary file format lock-in. No. Yay! Uh, I really think it was because they wanted to enable interactivity and, and and an attractiveness, for lack of a better word, that EPUB wasn't up to at that point. And sometimes, you know, it's a very Apple-like thing to do, is just we're not going to sit around and wait for the standards group to take years over this. We're just going to go do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can c- catch up. We're just going to make a thing. Um, you know, uh, but I think in general, though, this it's a better the idea of a sort of well, not even sort of a real standard format being the, the, the de facto. Here's the file format you pass around is a better situation. Yeah, I I agree 100 percent. And I say that as somebody who has made terrible books and pages in the 2011 days and also <laughs> made books in iBooks author and in InDesign. Like I've used pretty much all yeah. of the things that you can do. And for me, ultimately, I want something that's going to that's going to be easy to edit and that's going to look nice mm. when I export it. And pages especially with the drawing like the the addition of the drawing features is a small like may seem like a small thing but is really going to allow you to kind of personalize fixed format books in a way that I don't think uh, you really could before. 
uh, because of the way that images overlap and everything else. And I think it allows just just for a lot more design in general um, that was pre- than was previously available in Pages. And yeah. to you know, I don't even mind. I don't mind designing fixed format books if they're going to look beautiful and the text size is going to be you know people can zoom if they want to if they want to read it like that. Um, but by and large, you just make the text big enough so that it's easy to see for the majority of the population. And then you put in the accessibility features for people who want voiceover. Hmm. Um, all right. There's an item here in the show notes. I don't know what this is in reference to. You say keynotes, hidden animation <laughs> program. What is, what is, what is this? I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. So uh, there's a, there's a feature in keynote that's been around for a while called magic move, which is essentially just, right. you know, you take, object a and you keyframe it and you say okay object a is going to go to object b and then you press play and it moves to object b either in a straight line or a squiggle or you know however you'd like it so there's there's that that's like rudimentary animation it's literally just taking a static object from here and then moving it to there um but what's really cool in addition to magic move is that keynote has added an auto draw, like kind of like procreates a uh, recreation of your drawing. Uh, but Keynote has added mm. this inside the Keynote program um, so that if you draw anything in Keynote and then you animate it, it will actually like re like auto draw basically what you've just all of the strokes that you've just done. Um, and it's not true animation, obviously. It's not, you know, you're not going frame by frame by frame. Um, but it does add a lot of personality to slides, especially slides that have drawings in them. So if you want to, like, you know, you can draw a sunscape, for instance, and then have it turn to rain by adding more clouds and erasing certain certain things. And it's, I don't know, I think as somebody who's tried all of the animation programs on the store and finds them all tremendously lacking, uh, Keynote's not going to replace an actual Mac animation program, uh, but I think it will give a lot of kids who are interested in animation and even adults who are interested in animation really easy tools to play around and start learning about things like keyframes and things like mag- right. like match moves and, I don't know, I, I'm really excited well, about it. I think it's really cool. <laughs> People use Keynote's one of those apps that people use in very different ways, right? Like I know some, I know people who effectively sort of use it as an outliner, like just not like they're making a presentation for somebody else, but if they're just sort of working on a big project and they want to get their ideas into an outline format, they use Keynote and then the, you know, the left side sidebar, you know, you think about it, it's a, it's an outline. And they like it as an outliner. And it's like, well, why don't you use like Omni Outliner or something? And I go, oh, no, I like this because uh, they're used to it. Uh, and one of the other weird uses of Keynote or I would like unexpected would be like UI designers who use it for, I think, and it's exactly what you're talking about for the animation features hmm. where if you want to, if you want to show, you know, like you're going from this screen and you, if you tap here, it will go to here, but you want there to be, you know, an animated transition, um, uh, Keynote, you know, there's people who it, it's obviously not like the main point of the app, but it's, you know, surprisingly oft used for like mocking up rudimentary user interfaces with transitions like that's <clears throat> I think that's the key to its appeal in that area is that so modern apps, you just don't expect that when you tap something and you're going to a new screen that the new screen just pops into place, you expect some sort of animated transition. And it's, you know, it, yeah. screenshots alone are hard to hard to express that with. 
Um, yeah, I can see it also. You, I mean, I could see this very easily working in tandem with other apps to become like a uh, like a storyboarding app almost. Yeah. No. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, All right. Not too many items left on the agenda here, but. One of them is this weird, not weird, but interesting new product <laughs> from Logitech, the crayon, right? So yeah. Apple, how much does Apple Pencil cost? Was it 129 No, Apple Pencil uh, is 99 in the 99? U.S., 129 right. in Canada, and 89 for education customers. All right. Well, crayon is a new product from Logitech, and but it, it's like... And and again, it's hard to get a straight answer from Apple. It's they they were admitted that they worked with Logitech on this, but like just to what degree? It's so it's it's kind an, of hard it's a to pencil. get a straight answer. It's a pencil. It's it's an it's, Apple pencil. It's, yeah, it uses mm-hmm. Apple pencil tech, but it's not pressure sensitive. Correct. So that's the one thing that the real Apple pencil has that the crayon doesn't. Mm-hmm. And the other difference, and I thought this was really interesting, is that it doesn't have to be paired. Yes. With the iPad. So a classroom with 10 iPads and 10 of these Logitech crayons, a kid can come up and grab any crayon and any iPad and it'll just work. Yep, exactly. Um, But then, you know, I guess it's a downside. But the weird thing about it is that they're only selling it to the education market. And it's $49, not $99. So it's half the price of the Apple Pencil. But they're only selling it to education right now. And then I, again, I asked, all right, it's education only right now. Are there any plans for it to be sold to consumers? And the answer was, it's education only for now. Or Logitech has announced that it's education only. I I got a, we'll see. (laughs) Uh, which, which to me, which to me indicates that, uh, well, especially given uh, how many Logitech accessories I've covered in the past, uh, Logitech has a little bit of problem—not problem per se—but like they they scale up a little bit more slowly than Apple. Let's I'll put that put it that way. Mm. Uh, so I right. imagine what will happen, especially the crayon's not going to be available until summer, right? So I imagine the crayon like. They're going to start it in the education market, A, to see how much of a demand there is, and B, to see how much of a demand there is in the consumer space, too, and kind of see, oh, are there a million people asking for the crayon? Well, maybe we can release this in the mainstream. Uh, But I say that, and I look at Logitech's other education-only bit for the low-cost iPad, which is the Rugged case, and the Rugged case uses the Lightning port in a very similar way that the smart connector is used, right? Uh, the the case, right. you know, it's designed to be a very rugged, like its name, a rugged case to prevent your iPad from breaking if it drops, but it also has this heavy-duty Logitech keyboard attached to it. Uh, but the case itself snaps into your iPhone's lightning port, and then there's like a little mini smart connector at the bottom of this case that snaps into the Logitech keyboard next to it. Uh, so app- So they've essentially also made... A smart connector keyboard for the low-cost iPad without actually needing a smart connector. So that same principle with yeah. the crayon, you know, they don't have to worry about pairing Bluetooth, uh, pairing Bluetooth keyboards or charging Bluetooth keyboards. It's just plugging things in with Lightning. So that's the the one of the little like uh, asterisks of this event is you know and. and We've mentioned it several times already, but, you know, the the cost of these things, it's a big deal to schools because schools, for 
whatever you know we could do a whole show about how weird and sick it is that the richest country in the world has underfunded schools but that's the the world we live in is our schools are terribly underfunded and teachers are having to do things like buy their own paper and pencils and stuff. Mm-hmm. So a three, a $300 iPad is a significant expense. But the asterisk here is that for a lot of these schools, the Logitech rugged case is not really an option. It, it's mandatory, you know, like they kind of have to, you know, like, so it's not really a 299 iPad. It's, it's a 299 iPad plus a rugged combo case, yep. which I think is a hundred dollars or a hundred hundred bucks. It yeah. Uh, it's, I think it's a hundred bucks and then it's sold in packs of 10. So you can't even get it individually. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, it, it, and it's it's this Apple being Apple, where Apple's not going to make a case that's so ugly. I mean, and it's ugly because it is so literally rugged. It's well named, but schools aren't going to buy these <laughs> iPads and give them to the kids without putting them in a rugged case. Yeah, um, no question. <laughs> did you know this? That one of the reasons that it uses the Lightning cable is um, you probably knew this, but maybe you didn't. Uh, a couple people I talked to at the event had no idea, but. There's a bunch of standardized tests that kids can take on computers now. You don't like they don't have to do them all on paper with your uh, number two pencil. You Ooh. can take standardized tests on a computer, but there's uh, the testing apps mandate uh, that you can't have any wireless connectivity while the test is being taken oh. for obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you for can't cheating. use Wi-Fi, <laughs> but you can't. That the the, the, the the thing that kills a lot of the products that might other schools might otherwise use for a keyboard is you can't use Bluetooth. Mm. And the the app that the kid is in to take the test literally won't run if Bluetooth is enabled on the device for you know anti cheating purposes. So it has to. There has to be like an electrical wired connection from the key press through to the ipad and that means the only you know for an ipad that doesn't have a smart connector it would have to be through the lightning port that is fascinating i did not know that but it makes a lot of sense but that's the other you know but they have to and i think they have to have a keyboard too like you can't take these tests without a hardware keyboard it has to be you know there's like a set of specifications for it uh but i thought that was pretty interesting but yeah. it's it's like an essential combination, and it's just kind of interesting to see Apple pairing with you know a company like Logitech to do this. Like as an essential component of using this in a school, you've pretty much got to go to Logitech uh, to get the case. Yeah, there there really isn't there aren't alternatives, not good no. ones at least. I guess you can right, buy last... adapters for everybody and then plug in a, a USB keyboard, yeah. but. I guess. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. I don't, I don't know. It's it. You know, it's one of those uh, just a bunch of rules. And I could see why they would have a bunch of rules, but it just seems like it would be a pain in the ass to have to deal with it. Yeah. All right. Last but not least is the one thing that they did not announce at this event that I kind of thought that they would, even though it doesn't fit with an education theme is where the hell is the air power <laughs> charging pad? Like we're when they, did rocketing, they say you know, spring. Did they say spring? Did they say March? I think they said 2018. They said early next year or something. Uh, There's something has gone terribly wrong with this product because it was originally meant. It's clear that it was originally meant to debut alongside the iPhone, uh, the iPhone 8, iPhone 8 and iPhone 10. Yeah. Uh, You know, so plan B on Apple's wireless charging story was obviously the fallback to the, the recommended products they have from 
Mophie and Belkin and the fact that it, you know, they, they work with any standard chi charger. Um, uh, but plan a was obviously to have the Apple super, you know, even better than the cheat standard charging pad ready to go in September. And now here we are at the end of March and they still don't have it out. And you know, who knows, maybe they will have another event, uh, between now and WWDC. No, I, mean, they, you know, I don't see it. I see it. There's a April's a maybe, I don't, I don't think so either. I, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's, I don't think it's impossible. Like April, they've had events in April before, but I don't think it's likely. But that means if they don't have another event, uh, that the earliest it'll come out would be WWDC, and that's it's like nine months late. No, I just think they'll. I think they'll press release it. I think they'll do it the way they Mm. did the AirPods, where the AirPods just suddenly appear. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. I guess it doesn't have to wait for an event. Yeah, Yeah, I guess you're right. Because they've already announced, weird, like they've though. already announced it. They've already previewed it on, you know, on an event floor. I don't think they need an event to announce it. But I agree. I'm yeah. kind of shocked that it hasn't shipped yet. Yeah, something. I I would love to hear the backstory on it, but something has obviously gone terribly wrong on this. Yeah. Where if not only didn't ship on time in September, it's now <laughs> three months into 2018, <laughs> and it's still like nowhere to be seen we can file it alongside and, iMessages for iCloud and uh air power or airplay too yeah all right well the last last the one last thing i want to talk about is is the current state of the ipad lineup seems a little out of whack because the ipad pro models are based on the same a10 architecture as the new 329 ipad um and presumably there will be A11 or maybe they'll call it the A11X, you know, as they have in the past where the iPad gets a slightly different system on a chip than the, the current generation uh, iPhones. Um, presumably they will, there will be new iPad Pros this year. But yeah, if so, I think when? Dub dub. Dub dub DC. That's my, that's yeah, my thought. I guess that's what that it makes more sense than holding another event, I think. But it 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 right now it, it, for, it until they do, it's left the current iPad lineup in a weird state. Like I wouldn't recommend an iPad Pro at this point. If, if I you mean, can I wait, I would, I would not if you can wait for sure. But I think it's the same state that the Macs are in, kind of. You know, where it's like we've seen this before when the Mac back when the MacBook Air, MacBook Pro line were kind of straddling similar spheres. The MacBook Air would get updated and then the MacBook Pro would get updated like a month or two later because yeah. we were waiting for like Ivy Bridge or whatever nonsense Intel was delaying that that quarter. Uh, but I will say like the pros, if you absolutely have to buy a pro today, the 10.5 still is like at least stats and benchmark wise, like the A10X and A10 are practically two different chips, despite technically sharing the same architecture. Like it's hmm. it's something like twice as fast in single and multi-core um, and then you've also got the four gigs of RAM versus two gigs of RAM, which plays a big deal. Like a, there's a big difference played into that. So it's like yeah. it's the the 2018 iPad, you know, it outweighs the the last year's 2017 and it outweighs the original 9.7 and 12.9 iPad Pro. But like on on an overall scale, like iPads Pro are still still in a pretty good spot. But I, I tend to agree with you. Like I wouldn't. I'm not going to actively say go buy an iPad Pro because I do think that we're going to see new ones in in June. Yeah, and my guess would be uh, it because one of the things that's kind of 
pretty predictable about Apple. Like the Mac schedule is kind of hard to predict, right? Because it's just like all of a sudden, <laughs> it's oh, based maybe on we'll in, go, yeah, Intel's chip maybe, line. And maybe we'll go seven years without updating the Mac Pro. Who knows? Uh, you know, and other <laughs> times that it's would like, never happen. <laughs> other times it's like nine months after a new MacBook Pro ships, there's a, a speed bump update, and because you know, like you said, like Intel comes out with a new thing, Apple switches to the new thing. But like the Intel chip lineup, like I've I've lost my in, my will to understand it. I, I don't care. <laughs> it's uh, so just weird. Kind of, yeah, I, I I just don't care. I cannot get into a, oh, a new Core Seven or i Seven, whatever. I don't care. I don't. It doesn't. It, it's not just too too complex, too too confusing to me. Whereas Apple's internal chip update is very easy to predict. Like a new iPhone comes out in September, and they call it the A whatever the last number was plus one, mm-hmm. and eventually that chip makes it into the iPad. Uh, Sometimes around March, sometimes, you know, I guess a little later, but it'll, you know, you can kind of count on there being an annual update to the iPad that catches up to the current top of the top of the line iPhone A series chip. Um, I don't know that that alone is a reason not to buy an iPad Pro right now if you really want one. But to me, it's the fact that the iPhone 10 was this sort of true like 2.0 rethinking of the way ios works and my guess is that the next ipad pro will come with face id and oh yeah and inter- other interaction on screen that mimics the iphone 10 where you go to the top for you know because i that's i i don't use an ipad enough to i i honestly i have one and i use it sometimes but at this point the way that it doesn't work like my iPhone 10 makes me crazy because I'm swiping at the wrong place for everything. And I just, there's no way that I can keep both of them in mind. Like, you know, every podcast on the earth is, you know, mentioned like, you know, you get it, you switch to an iPhone 10 and at first you're lost, but seriously, it doesn't even take a whole week. Just give it a few days. And all of a sudden, you know, it's all natural and you get the new multitasking from switching up and you, you get used to going to the top right for, um, control center, et cetera, et cetera. But I can't, I, now when I use an iPad, I, I'm, my finger goes to the wrong spot for everything. And yeah. I'm like, I, I forgot how to multitask the other day. I was like, <laughs> how the hell do I, how the hell do I switch apps? And I was like, oh shit, you have to double, you have to double click that button. No, don't like, double click the button. No, use the multitasking <laughs> gestures. Uh, it's just weird though, right? It's like it's the this same device. Thing. It's exactly the same. Uh, this, is the, this is the funny thing to me. I, no, I agree with you. I agree with you in that it's frustrating because like, for instance, control center is on the bottom instead of the top. But like the swipe gestures, the swipe gestures were all pioneered on the iPad before, right. before the iPhone 10. I'll give you exists. the swipe gestures, but like control center, it, it makes me control crazy. Control center I cannot, is annoying. It's like, yeah. All right. I agree with you there. Um, That's that pisses and, me off. And and <laughs> honestly, the lack of face ID is just the most maddening thing. I'm like, why? Do, why am I having to do this ridiculous fingerprint thing here? This is ridiculous. Like, I, the, this device should just, you know. I, I, <laughs> So I don't know. That would be my thing. But I, I think you're right, though. I think I would guess WWDC. I don't know. Yeah, I'm 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 leaning towards WWDC, especially the 10.5 came out last year and the update to the 12.9. So theoretically, we are we are on that schedule, right? It will be it will have been a year since the newest iPad Pro has been released when we hit WWDC. So it would make sense to add that in there again. 
And also I look at it from a, if like, for instance, if Marzipan really gets released this, this summer, or it gets, you know, put into dev beta for release in the next version of macOS and iOS, like a really supercharged iPad Pro that kind of bridges the gap there would, I think, be a really smart move. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Um, anything else you want to talk about for this event, for education, no. for what we expect in the next few weeks? I think we oh, covered man. it all. This was yeah, pretty good. I think I, I mean, I, I'm curious to see when AirPower is going to come out. The only other thing that I had on my list, which doesn't really relate to the event, was just, you know, Tim Cook talked to Kara Swisher and the Recode folks about Facebook mm. and privacy, which was a really interesting interview. Um, I'm really curious to see the full thing. I'm kind of sad that I couldn't stick around to see it in person in Chicago. Um, yeah, I couldn't either. Uh, yeah. And it's like, well, I, I, I don't know. I guess they they kind of kept it secret. I mean, I I only found out about it like a day, like in the day before. Or, yeah. Yeah. It was like, yes. <laughs> Yeah, I think I probably, I almost certainly would have stayed one more day just to, do, I, I would have stayed for that. What the heck? I love Chicago. Chicago's a beautiful town. But mm-hmm. I was like, uh, uh, I've already got my flight booked. Yeah. And it was too late to move it. So. Exactly. Yeah, so was there, was, there was that. There was uh, Apple's sort of re-envisioning of their privacy controls um, to have the website so that you can download all of the information from Apple services and delete or deactivate your account more easily, uh, which is that's coming in May, I think. And that that is pretty cool, if only because it's been super frustrating to try and delete and manage an Apple ID. So I'm hoping that mm. will be a little bit easier. Um, and then there's the there's 10 point uh, 11.3 came out without right. without AirPlay 2, which I'm not surprised about. But um <laughs> <laughs> it's another one. It's like it's, they can't win yeah. on any product with uh, air in the name. It's like yeah. uh, networking. Apparently, networking is really hard. Who knew? Uh, but the the interesting thing of eleven point three, and there are like a lot of little fun things in there. But like, I really love uh, Apple has a new indicator anytime they're going to ask for your information, um, and a new kind of screen that pops up and an icon that shows up anytime that they're going to ask for anything that's potentially privacy related. And again, in the age of like all of the Facebook stuff, I find that really soothing in a way just to be like, Hey, here are these two little buddies in circled in blue. This is just to let you know that we might be requesting your personal data. So maybe you should look a little bit harder at this screen rather than, you know, just gloss over it and press accept. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like Facebook has been. I, I can't talk about it extensively. We've too, yeah, too we'll, we'll go time. for but another I, I feel, two hours. <laughs> I've long suspected that Facebook has been running out of rope on this, and that for years Facebook has had an institutional, almost complete disregard of or, or lack of respect for their users' privacy. Uh, they'll track anything and everything that they can, and they've never really been called out on it. I mean, there's obviously some people who've said, you know, forever, like I'm not comfortable with this, you know, what they do, but the, you know, the literally billions of people who use their product. Um, and there's very few people, you know, companies in the world that, that can measure their user base in billions. Billions. Yeah. Um, (laughs) you know, obviously just didn't really seem to care and only cared about the utility of, yes, this is a nice, this is a fun way to stay in touch with family and share photos and we'll, you know, all right, you know, yada, yada, yada privacy. But I feel like it, it's catching up to them now, like with the whole Cambridge Analytica story about uh, the way that this information could be abused. People are like, what? 
And then there was a thing where there, it's like Ooh. this, uh, the Facebook version of you can download all your Facebook data and people are doing it. And like, apparently on Android, uh, like Facebook logs everything you do with your phone. <laughs> and so it's like the one guy was like, it's got a list of every phone call I've made for like the last two years. What the hell is NBD. this doing in Facebook? This is so NBD. bizarre. Like pe- <laughs> right. And people, uh, you know, people see, find out about stuff like that. And then they're like, uh, what is wrong with, you know, this company? And it's like, you know, it, it's democracy at work and it works, you know, too slowly. It's like the old, what's the old adage that democracy is the worst system of government other than all the other systems. Of <laughs> yeah, government. exactly. Um, but it's like lawmakers are catching on to it too. Right. And they're like, Hey, you know, and they're like, they're slowly looking at Facebook. And I think Facebook is at that moment where they've kind of got like their collective finger in their shirt collar, uh, and, Hands in a like, cookie jar uh, kind of thing. Shoes. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're, so. they're not in a great place. And that's, like I said, I like, I really like Apple's approach to that. I mean, I've liked Apple's approach to privacy for a long time now, but I really appreciate, again, if there's a big honking blue icon uh, on any request for privacy, it allows me to really pay attention to that dialogue as opposed to Facebook's like, can we have your contacts? Uh, press here to not not give us your I contacts. Will- <laughs> I will say this. I, I'm glad I remembered this, but I, just as a, a to to add a everything regarding Apple in this issue is not great. Uh, I think it's under remarked upon Apple's. I was going to say complicitness, but that sounds like a pretty scathing word. But I'll I'll go with it. Complicitness in Facebook's collection of information from iOS users by having Facebook built into the OS for, I think it was around five years. Um, like they removed it in iOS 10, I believe, but from like somewhere around, and I could be getting a version number wrong, but somewhere around iOS four or five through iOS nine, Facebook and Twitter were built into the settings app and you could, you know, authenticate with Facebook. And then that would enable app developers to skip having their own thing so if your game wanted to save data and do something in a way that like game center wasn't set up to do you could do it through facebook and you wouldn't have to write your own facebook code you could just call into the system um facebook collected a lot of information about a lot of ios users through all of the app data that they collected by having that feature built in um and I think it's pretty clear that Apple got rid of that feature, not because it wasn't being used, but because they realized it was a mistake strategically and ran counter to their their beliefs on privacy. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think uh, as Apple I think was they, developing I think if system, they had it to do all over again, Apple wouldn't do it. No. If they had it to do all over again, they never would have built it in. Maybe they would have spent more time on Game Center, which still is half broken. <laughs> Although, hey, hey, did you know as of 11.3, you can delete friends individually now? So you don't have to le- delete them all in one go, but you still can't oh. add friends. You still I can't add I, new people. I haven't opened the Game Center app in a long time. It well, that's because be it doesn't exist anymore, John. The The app is gone. Oh. The app has been gone for two years. <laughs> Oh, that would explain why. <laughs> how do you how do you manage it then? No, that's the point. For the last two years, since they've deleted the app, you can't manage right. it. So for a while, your only option was just delete all friends, or See, you just kept your that. existing ones. So I have 
I literally, I have the Game Center friends that I had when I left Macworld. So it's basically all of my Macworld colleagues and, like, three of my friends. Which is really obnoxious if I want to, like, actually compete with people. Like, uh, when, we, when I was playing Alto's Odyssey, it was literally, it was like... Me, Jason Snell, Dan Frakes, and Panzer, yeah. I think, is on my friends list right now. Uh, I, it's, you know, but that's it. The game thing is a real example where Apple's, if for years, they're, you know, be like, hey, how do I do this in game? I want my game to, like, sync this data between, like, the iPad and the iPhone version. And, you know, it was like, ah, you can't actually do that in Game Center. So we recommend you use Facebook. And if you, you know, do, you know, trust the system level Facebook thing, you could you know, store the data like Apple was recommending it and games was, were a big reason for it. Uh, I mean, did Facebook really collect a lot of interesting information from people who were playing games where they saved their data through Facebook? I don't know. But uh, I feel let's like not Apple ask that realized, question because you're going to be right. depressed. <laughs> right. So, yeah, don't be surprised at what they could get out of it. Right. Yep. Exactly. It's probably, you know, like location data, there's all sorts of stuff they could have gotten. So yuck. Um, yeah, but so you know, I don't think it's a huge deal. I feel like Apple is overall on the right side, has been on the right side of the privacy story from a you know early way before most people saw it as a big issue. But I don't think their record is perfect, and yeah, I think that that Facebook sure. integration that they had for years was was the single worst thing Apple's done privacy wise in my memory. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for being here. Uh, everybody yeah. can. Uh, Find your your writing, your good work at iMore, and on Twitter you are. I don't remember your username. What's your username? It's it's Saturn S E T T E R N. It's a it's a nonsense word. So S E T T E R N on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you can see how well prepared I am for the show.